Welcome, everyone. I am Christopher, and this is Orphan Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain media. Digging the scene with me this month is Lydia. Welcome, Lydia. Hey. Hey. That's all I got. Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Hello, everyone listening tonight. Thank you so much for joining yeah. us. Barry, I'm afraid, is still just uh, – he, he's such a square. He's a busy square. He's a very busy square, so he couldn't join us yet again He's this month. He's not to so. it all, you know. Just- exactly. <laughs> so hopefully we'll uh, we'll get him back into the scene, and uh, he can uh, dig on some films with us here next month. Um, what was I going to say? I don't know. doesn't matter. Let's take a short break, and I'll collect my thoughts, <laughs> and we will get on with the show. I wish there was a podcast I could listen to every day to keep up with the geeky world. Someplace I could find out about news, movies, comics, and video games. All that available every single day. There's no way a podcast could do it. I guess I'm just a dreamer. Hey, geek. Wake up. Geek Radio Daily is the podcast of your dreams. Go to geekradiodaily.com. Subscribe through iTunes or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Geek Radio Daily provides your daily dose of geek, comics, movies, video games, news, and more. It's all the geek without the wait. Are you tired of the same old stuff Hollywood puts out week after week? You know, all those less-than-appealing remakes? Those films with over-the-top CG and no storyline? Well, we don't have to take it anymore thanks to the 2015 B-Movie Celebration. Polyscope Media presents the 9th Annual B-Movie Celebration. In 2015, we're going to go back in time, back to 1985 to be exact. The 9th Annual B-Movie Celebration will feature the following films from this time period. Fright Night. Malibu Express. The Last Dragon. Invasion USA. Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins. Return of the Living Dead. Trancers. Reanimator. Morons from Space. The Stuff. Life Force. Defcon 4. Damnation Alley. Better Off Dead. Godzilla 1985. Along with those 80s classics, we're going to showcase The Blob from 1958 and Death Race 2000 from 1975. So pack those bags, recharge that flux capacitor, and join us for the 9th Annual B-Movie Celebration on August 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2015 at the Brown County Playhouse in Nashville, Indiana. For updated information on this event, bookmark the bmoviecelebration.com website using your favorite browser, and we promise to have you home back in time. Titles mentioned in this promo are subject to change without notice. The Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts podcast is an official sponsor of the 9th Annual B-Movie Celebration. All right, Ed, welcome back. All right, the film we are grooving on this month is 1959's The Bloody Brood. This was a Canadian production from Meridian Studios and stars a collection of largely unknown actors at the time, including the late, great Peter Falk. Mm. Mm. (laughs) Exactly. Peter Falk is probably best known for his long-running stint as the TV detective Columbo, as well as many memorable film appearances like in It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World. Murder by Death, and The Princess Bride. I love Murder by Death. And, of course, The Chief Detective. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So great. Just as a side note, uh, the next film he appeared in after this, in 1960, Murder, Inc., actually got him the first of two nominations for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, The second being for 1961's Pocket Full of Miracles. He had a really great early career. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, I can't believe how young he was in this. Honestly... 
without knowing who he is, you would not recognize him. Well, I wouldn't recognize him. He's just. Oh, really? I, I just didn't think he's. I mean, you know, I think of Peter Falk as, like you mentioned, you know, from The Princess Bride or The Chief Detective, and that kind of a little more kind of maybe grizzled appearance. And he gotcha, looks very sure. smooth in this. Of course, he's much younger as well. He is much younger, but no, I I, I see him. And in fact, uh, we'll get into one scene uh, later that really pretty much, if you know Columbo, <laughs> you'd recognize him from in this well, film. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. When I first watched it, when, like, when I first started watching it, he sounds like himself, but he mm-hmm. looks different enough that I didn't catch it right away. So it's interesting. Even though, of course, I recognize the name. It just it didn't click for me. Definitely a lot darker hair and a lot fewer wrinkles. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> Making their film debuts are Jack Betts as Cliff, an actor that is still appearing in film and television today, and Barbara Lord as Ellie, a.k.a. Brooke, in the film. She, uh, this was her only venture onto the big screen. She acted sporadically through the years on television uh, until 1989, where she apparently just kind of retires after that. Uh, she is the mother of actor Patrick Warburton, if you're familiar with him. He was uh, made famous with his reoccurring role on Seinfeld, as well as the uh, title character on the brief live-action series The Tick. <laughs> and then, of course, he's made many, many other uh, film and television appearances and does a ton of voice work, especially on shows like Family Guy and of uh, that ilk. I believe he's doing some voice work or doing some appearances on uh, the movie Ted, which is like Family Guy with the teddy bear. So... <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. Okay. <laughs> a little more, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. A little less cartoonish? Oh, yeah. Probably still a little Maybe cartoonish. A little less family-friendly is kind of where I was going with that. Wow, and that, uh, considering how how not family-friendly family guy uh, is. That's kind of <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, all right. I think uh, that's really – I don't have a lot of trivia or uh, back information about this film. There, uh, It was interesting. The director, uh, Mr. – sorry, Julian Rothman, that this is only one of two things that he directed. This, the only other thing he directed, I think, was actually a um, 3D film. I don't even know if he directed the entire film. He did like some uh, wraparound connecting segments of the film called The Mask that was uh, – Sometime in the uh, 60s, I believe. <laughs> Which is and not to be confused with the Jim Carrey, the mask. Not to be confused with the Jim Carrey, the mask. <laughs> uh, so very interesting. Uh, just an interesting film with a lot of you know actors. That, like I said, just nobody actors. A, a young, you know, kind of untried director. Uh, I would love to find out more about how this film even got put together. With, I mean, it's almost unheard of to have a film nowadays with this level of unknowns. Certainly not in Hollywood anyway, maybe with a smaller independence or small studios. But Mm -hmm. as far as like something that would come out of Hollywood, you would never have a film like this. Well, I think we should get into the plot a little bit. Well, the film opens with what I think is kind of a brilliant credit sequence. It's sort of like a a mosaic of scenes from the film, uh, as well as introducing the the names of the characters and all those behind the film, which I thought it was just kind of a, a neat credit sequence. I must, I seem to be kind of a sucker for credit sequences because I know it's not the first time I've brought one up. <laughs> well, and when they are done differently than you're used to seeing it, it's worth noting. Well, expect, you know, when we started out with this a little over two years ago and the credit sequence for uh, Prisoners of the Lost Universe was literally just 
white type on a black screen. Mm-hmm. Everything's a step above, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, we find ourselves in a club or a bar. I think this place is called The Dig, something like that. Something like that. Yeah, and it definitely favors a certain crowd. It kind of favors a little bit of, of the beatnik, uh, the artistic crowd. And we're introduced to Nico, who is uh, Peter Falk playing Nico, uh, his friends Francis, and a few other friends. And they're all kind of sitting around the table having a philosophical discussion about the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, an old man comes in selling newspapers, and uh, Nico ends up buying a paper with Francis's dollar. And, <laughs> and on the way out, this poor uh, salesman apparently uh, stops for a drink and uh, drops on the floor in pain. As he dies, the group kind of watches, and Nico sort of narrates the event until the man actually passes on. Hey, Nico! Nico, quick! Quick! He asked for a shot. I was pouring it, and all of a sudden he, he caves in and... Hey, Nico, I think he's going to croak. What'll we do? Do? Watch. Gentlemen, this is the greatest show on earth. Spontaneous. It's unrehearsed. There's only one performance. Dave, Francis. You're supposed to be writers. Here's a real live death scene for you. Nothing left to the imagination. Trying to say something. A dying statement. Too late. He came in every night. And we never knew his name. No name. Not even a number. That makes him a perfect square. Now there's one less in the world. Well, gentlemen, did he die or was he murdered by life? If the old man could tell us, I... It's a interesting scene, and it really does kind of set the stage for what's to come in the rest of the movie. Yeah, you definitely get an idea of Nico's character. I mean, the one guy asks even, you know, what 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 should we do? Or and you know, he just says nothing, just watch. You know, <laughs> and yeah, you definitely get the idea. These are not your typical. Uh, this is not your typical crowd of late night drinkers. <laughs> At least I don't no, think so. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Nico does get to uh, say the line, which I think is probably one of the greatest lines I think I've ever heard in any film. After the old man dies. He, he looks at him and he says, did he die or was he murdered by life? Yes, I loved that line as well. Oh, brilliant line. I can't believe it's like, this is like in the first like three minutes of the film. And it's like the best line in the film. <laughs> it is. I absolutely agree. Well, next we find ourselves at a party. And a few of the guys that were there at the bar are kind of retelling the story of the man's death to a few of the other people at the party. Well, I feel like in this particular scene, they really are setting the stage for, okay, this is who these people really are. This is not, again, this is not, even for this era, a, a typical party crowd. These are people that are, you know, into surrealism and they're, you know, mm-hmm philosophers, but they're beatnik philosophers. So they're not, you know, looking for deep meaning. They're looking for meaning in the nothingness, you know, they're existentialists to the core. And uh, I think I used that word correctly, (laughs) but you know, you have one guy wandering around spouting kind of bizarre poetry. And I think Nico tells, I think this is where we meet um, Brooke. And I think that's where he says, Oh, you you should listen to that guy. You can learn a lot from him, even though he seems to be spouting nonsense. You know, he kind of, he's, talking about looking for, you know, finding meaning in nothing, I suppose. 
like talking to my little right. brother a little bit, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you really do. I, you, you know, these are people that are very, uh, I, I want to say, I hate to use the word flaky, but not grounded. So that it sets it up even a little bit more because now you're, you get the idea. Okay. This is not a, this is not a group of close friends. These are people that are all kind of doing their own thing. Right. But doing their own thing together. Mm -hmm. that makes, yeah. Solidarity and individualism. Exactly. <laughs> Nico begins to, to wonder what it would be like if something like that happened if, every night. And if you're watching the, watching the man die, what if you could choose? What if you yeah. could control who, who lives, who dies, and when? And I, I do like that there's a moment in this where uh, a, a girl comes up and I, she's like, oh, come on, Nico, let's go dance. And he goes, you know, leave us alone. We're planning a murder. And she's like, oh, okay. And she wanders off. And then he says, they never believe when you tell them the truth. <laughs> yes, brilliant. Yeah, and, it's fantastic. But it's it's true too, you know. Nobody ever, you know, you what is it she says in Gross Point Blank? You joke about the things that you would never do, you know. <laughs> but right. but he really is, and she doesn't. And, and he, you know, as he walks away, he's like, you know, as I think his buddy says, "What? Wait, you're serious? We're really planning this?" And he's like, "Of course." Yeah, I, I didn't misjudge you, did I, Francis? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Francis is an interesting. I like how they build Francis. I mean, you could tell that Francis, you know, Francis is not the guy for this. And I think Nico knows it too. And we find out later that Nico is well aware of the, of how far he can push Francis. And he knows that he can use Francis if things go south. And that's kind of getting ahead of things, but it, it I like the characters. I mean, they do a great job really early on of kind of giving you an idea of who these people are, what kind of people what kind of people these these people are? They, they do. I'm gonna try to use people as many times as I can. In a <laughs> you did. You're doing a great job, people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they, but they do. Even though these are flighty, I think flighty is the word I really wanted earlier. They're flighty characters. You don't feel like these are just random people stuck in a room with no backstory. You, I, you feel like they're actually people, not just characters. So yeah, I, exactly. I feel like it's well written, um, just from the standpoint that. Right away, you know, even though it's kind of, it, it may be, well, going to be outside of our comfort zone. It's not going to be people necessarily that every one of us knows. You do believe them. You do believe that they are real and that they could exist. Just a couple of the other characters. We've mentioned Nico. We mentioned Francis. Uh, Dave is another character that it's important that he shows up um, more than once in the film. So it's important to bring him up. Mm -hmm. Paul, the poet. I do like, uh, this was a, a neat moment during this party. Uh, Paul gets, you know, struck with this with this poem. He has to recite this poem. He tells everyone, "Quiet, you know." Let me the everyone. Wake up, will you, man? You're bugging the Tom Toms. Quiet, peasant. Yeah. Patty cake, patty cake, puzzle for squares. Why take a plane trip? Flies through the air. You work the whole year to get two weeks with pay. So get with it, cats, and you'll fly every day. Oh, horn ball. <laughs> Don't mind him, Paul. 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 You're still my favorite poet. A gentleman and a... Scooter. 
Nico just, he's the kind of guy that as long as he doesn't need to step on you, he's going to be your best friend. Right. He's going to really get the impression he loves these people. He really does love these people and he will take care of these people so long as it doesn't, I don't want to say as long as it benefits him, but as long as it doesn't stop benefiting mm-hmm. him, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. As long as it doesn't hinder his benefits. His benefits. Exactly. There you go. Well, as you uh, said, Nico and Francis go off together to plan a murder. <laughs> like you do. Like you do. <laughs> they are looking for, they're looking for their kicks. They're looking for the greatest kicks. At that very moment. Yeah. As it, as but it happens, you know. <laughs> but a knock at the door. A knock at the door. Ring at the bell, a knock at the door. A young man delivering, trying to deliver a telegraph to the owner of the apartment. Uh, the owner of the apartment is out of, out of town, and he's given uh, Nico the key and told him to make himself at home. And he really has done it. <laughs> Which they have done big time, you know, having a nice big party and uh, ranking up his uh, phone bill at five bucks a minute. <laughs> well, Nico uh, takes this young, uh, this young man, Roy, inside. And uh, talks the kid into coming in. The uh, the lovely leotard wearing dancer kind of makes it a little easy, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this is a kid. I mean, it's funny because when he first knocks on the door, you kind of don't catch it. But then, it, you know, there's a lot of, gee, mister, I don't think so, mister. Uh, thanks, mister, but it's against rules. And, you know. Right, yeah. He, he is probably just out of uh, high school. I mm-hmm. think he's actually trying to work his way into college. They mentioned so, that later, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, you're talking about a kid that maybe is, you know, 19, you know, 18, 19 years old. At the most. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, stumbling a, uh, across a situation like this and a young woman like that, you could understand where he might, <laughs> might be, it might be easy to get him in the door. No, Christopher, explain to us. How would a young woman like that get him in the door? <laughs> uh, I'm just tickling yet. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> In the next scene, we meet Roy's brother, Cliff. Well, uh, he gets a... Oh, no. I'm sorry. Go ahead. They they do eventually talk him into coming inside. Come on. Have a yep. drink. Yeah, have you do see him coming in. The the, the the door closes and the, the music reaches a crescendo. So you know something's going to happen there. Almost TV movie-like, wasn't it? Were, were you kind of waiting for commercial break right there? <laughs> Personally, no. But I can definitely see how one might. <laughs> All right. Well, we meet Roy's brother, Cliff. He, he gets a phone call from Roy. Roy isn't doing so well. He's in a payphone down on the street. Uh, he's nearly doubled over, barely able to talk, and he complains about his gut hurt, and he can't make it home. Uh, he collapses as Nico and Francis watch from down the, down the street. Creepily watch. No. Creepily watch. And as soon as he collapses and passes out, they, they pretty much they, they get out of there. When we next see Cliff, he is in a hallway. It looks like in the hallway of a hospital, or as we come to find out, it's the morgue. Uh, Roy is dead, and he's waiting to find out what happened. Uh, a detective, a police detective, McLeod, shows up and speaks to him and lets him know that Roy was killed by a hamburger laced with ground glass. Not a pleasant way to go, I would think. It adds a whole new depth to that weird owl song eat it what uh, <laughs> uh no i'd rather spend eternity eating shards of broken glass than to spend one more minute with you oh i missed that one. Oh, it was in the 80s <laughs> oh okay well, I missed that it. early so... early 90s gotcha but yeah definitely is 
<laughs> I'm sorry. It didn't occur to me when I was watching the movie that that applied in this particular case, but you know, of course. Gotcha. Trust it to come up while we're actually discussing the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, Francis isn't handling the stress of murdering someone terribly well. We see him at work. He is a uh, a director. It looks like he's directing a commercial, a television commercial. He's having a rather nasty time of it. He had, on, during a break, he stumbles across a blurb in a paper about Roy's death. And the fact that the police are investigating about it kind of freaks him out. So what's the point? Are you flipped or something? It says the police are conducting... Police, 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 police. So what? Uh, Play it cool, will you? Got nothing to go on. Huh? No clues, no motives. Besides, who cares? Come on, let me see you smile. Smile. Come on, smile. Yeah, Nico is not bothered at all. In fact, I think this is what he was looking for. This is just adding to the kick for Nico because now it's in the paper. What he did is in the paper, and and nothing, nobody can touch him. He, no one knows anything. Well, De- Detective McLeod pays a visit to Cliff at Cliff's apartment. Cliff's uh, clearing up his brother's things. Hopefully somebody will be able to use him, he says. And McLeod tells Cliff that he's got nothing, no leads whatsoever. Cliff decides that he's going to play amateur detective since the police aren't doing anything about it. How do you, how do you like this uh, Detective McLeod, Lydia? What kind of police work is this exactly? <laughs> See, now I took him more to be like a private investigator than a police detective because he has that kind of demeanor. He doesn't feel very coppish. Coppish? No, he coppish? doesn't. <laughs> coppish? Why not? <laughs> He, he, it's true. He does seem that way, but no, he is supposedly mm-hmm. a police detective. But I just like the fact that he tells him, like, "Hey, you know, I got four guys on this case. We're all trained in fingerprints and toxicology. We studied at the academy. We can't break. You think some amateur, some kids is going to come in and crack the case?" <laughs> the kid's like, "Well, sure, maybe I'm nuts, but I'm I'm going to try anyway." Well, all right. <laughs> just just come to me if you find anything out, and be careful. Yeah. Don't eat any but hamburgers. I, mean, I don't think he actually says that, but I feel like he should have. He should have. Yeah, he should have. No, I mean, he's got the uh, Roy's uh, call list, the, the the list of the, the stops that he made. Yeah. And the and Cliff, and Cliff wants it. Honestly, though, I thought that was, a even though it might seem really minor, I thought it was really brilliant to explain how nobody could have known where, where uh, Roy was. Because he, you know, he's got this list of six names. Three of them are crossed out, and those are the ones that were delivered. But that was before the time when he would have ingested the hamburger. And the other right. three that aren't crossed out, you know, Cliff asks about them. Well, what are these? Well, those are the ones that didn't get delivered. They were still on his body when he was found, and so there right. was there was no answer. And so I loved that they they added just enough that anybody else that would be like, oh well, come on, surely they could have traced it back there. Um, you know, we're satisfied. There's, they actually do a really great job of explaining how this is much more complicated than you might otherwise seem. Yeah, absolutely. No, they did a really good job. No, you're right. But as I said, detectives got this list, and Cliff wants a copy of that list. And the detective's like, I can't give you that. And he's like, fine, I'll just go down and get it from his boss. He'll give it to him anyway. <laughs> well, okay, all right, you can you have go. it. Just don't tell anyone. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but don't tell anybody. Yeah. Would you mind if I went over the groundwork myself? Check the route list. Whoa, I can't turn that over to you. All right. I'll go to the company and get one. I'm sure once I've explained, they'll give me a copy. Okay. 
Stop the record. Anybody makes a beef about this, you're on your own. Only remember, when you check these people, you can't pressure them. You're not acting in any official capacity. They don't even have to talk to you. And if a man slams the door in your face, it doesn't make him a prime suspect. Okay. Keep your eyes and ears peeled for any little out-of-the-ordinary things that don't quite add up. You smell pipe smoke and the lady says she's alone. A cheap rooming house and the guy wears custom-made suits. Discrepancies. You get the idea? Yeah. Good luck. I'll keep an eye on you. If you should stumble on anything, call me. I'm amazed he didn't hand him a gun, honestly. <laughs> In fact, here, have a badge. We'll just make you an yeah, honorary. I do agree. Yeah. In this particular, yeah, this, this particular character it is really, I think, the weak spot of the entire movie. And honestly, you almost could have done without him. Um, he didn't add really anything. Even at the end, oh, I don't want to get into that, but... <laughs> Oh. I feel like he didn't add a whole lot to the story by existing. No, you're you're right. He really didn't. Uh, you kind of, no, honestly, you really didn't. Need, I guess you had to say, well, you know, the police are investigating, so you had to have a police investigating. Well, I mean, but, you could have had that conversation with with Roy's boss, you know, where he would say, no, right, let true. the police do his job, you know, and yeah. he'd say, well, come on, just give me the list. And, you yeah, know. Yeah, the police have already got been here. I've already gave them the list. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Cliff sets out and follows the list. He makes it to the apartment on the list. One of the first, one of the uh, no, no deliveries, and it's the of uh, the apartment that we saw earlier in the film. Of course, no one answers the door. No one's home yet, so he decides to just kind of sit in the hall for a while and wait, see if uh, see if someone comes by. And while he's waiting, Dave stops by uh, to see if anyone's home. See if you wonder if there's going to be another party because the last one was flying. Yeah. <laughs> So Cliff talks to him, finds out that there was a party there earlier in the week or last week, and um, finds out about Nico. And I like the way, I, again, I like the way they did this. They made it very plausible where, you know, this, this guy's kind oh, of sure. chatty and he's like, oh, yeah, Nico's not here yet. And, and Cliff says, no, no, I'm waiting for Nico, too. You know, <laughs> just, right. uh, yeah. he, he gets it like he, he's very smart about it. You really get the idea. This is not just some Yoko, Yoko, Yokel. Anyway, Yo some dude, uh, you know hanging around trying to find out stuff. He really is going, he's being intelligent as much as possible. I babbled exactly. way too long about him being intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave suggests that Nico could be hanging out down at the dig. So they go, they head off to go see if they could find them. So back at the, so we're at the bar. Uh, Cliff meets some of the other gang, including quote unquote, Brooke. This is Ellie. Uh, they call her Brooke cause she's from Brooklyn and she babbles. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, it actually confused. I missed that line. At oh first. no, I did catch that one. I liked it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a great line. I guess I just didn't connect it. So I'm looking at the, uh, I guess later on, I'm looking at the like IMDb credits, getting the names. I'm like, Ellie, I thought her name was Brooke. Exactly. <laughs> I honestly, I didn't really catch that her name was Ellie. I just, yeah. I keep calling her Brooke. <laughs> yeah. It was actually, it was the second time through the film that I was like, Oh, it is Ellie, but they call her. Brooke. Oh, got it. Cause they actually do go back and forth between Brooke and Ellie, even in the film. Well, and I like they. This is getting a little ahead, but I feel like they differentiate it when she's in this uh, beaten it kind of situation. She goes by Brooke, and then mm -hmm. it seems like outside of that 
situation, she goes by Ellie. So you kind of get the impression she's maybe leading a little bit of a double life there. Yeah, exactly. And it kind of depends on the situation. I think it seems to be when they're just kind of sitting and talking. Uh, I think even Nico calls her Ellie. But if it's kind of a more of a party scene, mm-hmm. that's where the brook comes in more often. Well, Cliff says that he is Cliff Benton, which uh, his real name is, uh, I believe it was Cliff Bowers. Yes, I think that's right. Right. So he's using a false name uh, just to make sure. I, I guess he, he suspects something and he doesn't want to tip his hat too soon that he's related to the, the poor kid that's been killed. And that, uh, well, anyway, he tells him that he's Cliff Benton and that he and Nico are old friends. They met at a party or something mm-hmm. a while ago. Well, Nico isn't a isn't immediately around. He's been kind of scarce. Uh, so he doesn't meet up with Nico, but he does uh, find out about a party that's coming that's going to be the, the next night at the uh, the artist's uh, pad, wherever it is that he's living now. <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed that where he's like, yeah, yeah, come to my place. Come to my place tomorrow night. It's, um, where am I? Yeah. Hey, where am I living now? <laughs> and his buddy has to give him the address. So we get to the next night. And we see Dave getting a little pushy with Ellie, uh, just as Cliff happens to wander in, and you know he he kind of grabs her and rescues her from him, which she doesn't. Uh, she's a little, a little miff. She did, you know, you don't have to pull the Galahad, pal. You know, it, she's an interesting character. I think there's um, there's definitely a, a connection between the two of them, but she is um, reluctant to uh to show it or to acknowledge she's playing it. Playing the tough girl. Exactly. Yeah. I think she's definitely she's a newer recruit to the scene, as they as they put it. I think Francis kind of pulled her in. And so she's she's enjoying the new scene. She's enjoying kind of living this uh, this lifestyle of doing what she wants when she wants. And so I think she sees she recognizes Roy as the someone that's more like her life before. Cliff. And so she's trying hard to push that or Cliff, excuse me. <laughs> It's just she's trying hard to kind of push that away from her because she's kind of enjoying her newfound freedom. Cliff and Ellie have a little heart-to-heart in the hallway outside this apartment. And she lets on that uh, that she was at this party, uh, you know, last week. And, you know, the talking about Nico and Francis and how they just like to get their kicks. And she starts telling a story about us, how this messenger boy happened to stop by. And this was a... Uh, certainly piques Cliff's interest, but before she could really give him any information or before he could uh, talk to her, the party gets broken up. I don't know if the, they found out the cops are on their way or what was going on, but the party had to stop and it was time to scatter and meet up somewhere else. We find out that uh, where, where Nico makes his dough, apparently he deals in drugs in a way. I, I take it he was some sort of uh, a middleman for some sort of drug syndicate. That's what it seemed like. There was definitely a guy that he answered to, and then uh, is it date? Is no, no, it's Duds. Duds is his mule. Is what his they call mule him. exactly? Yeah. Well, apparently he's been taking a little more than he should from this syndicate, and his mule Stud. He, he decides to kind of hold that over his head a little bit to get a little larger piece of the pie himself. You know, Nico relents to him, and yeah, that's fine. Uh, this was a scene that was important because you needed studs because he comes into play a little bit later and is really important much later in the film. This is kind of what I enjoy is there are a few scenes where at the time you kind of wonder how important is this? And as it turns out, really important in a lot of cases. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I would definitely say really important. But this is too where you kind of see 
like you were talking about earlier that Nico's friends with everybody until it, it starts uh, interfering with his benefiting. Uh, and, and here you kind of see, okay, he's, he's agreeing, but he's kind of holding back a little, Oh yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. I get it. Okay. So we'll, we'll be real partners. How about 50, 50, you know, but the way he says it, you're kind of like, mm, not sure. I believe you dude. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm thinking uh, you should be a little worried there, studs. Right, exactly. You and your friend with the fork. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was with the fork anyway? I don't know. I guess because knives, knives are too too normal, I guess. I see. <laughs> well, they're beatniks. They don't subscribe exactly. to Exactly. Knives, knives are square, Lydia. Yeah, knives are totally square. Well, Nico finally meets Cliff, and he plays along with Cliff's game. He he knows he doesn't recognize this kid. The Cliff tells some story about how he met at this, you know, at the the guy's apartment a few weeks ago before he went out of town. You know, doesn't really have any business laying on this story because he has absolutely no idea whether anything he's saying could possibly be true, but mm. he does anyway. It. it ends up being kind of his downfall in, in, in a lot of ways. So Nico knows something's up. And so he, uh, being friendly, he, he goes off. He's like, oh, let me get us something to drink. He goes off and apparently arranges with his goons, studs, and the, the guy at the fork uh, <laughs> to kind of create a, create a little bit of disturbance right there in the, uh, in the bar. And in doing so, they end up um, lifting his wallet. Lifting, lifting Cliff's wallet. Well, Nico plays the hero and you know, plays the good guy and you know makes him, you know, gets him to scoot. But yeah, they've ended up lifted Cliff's wallet. And when uh, Nico comes back to the table after making sure that these guys had left, he says, "Oh, hey, listen, these guys have lifted a wallet. Is, is, is it yours?" Hey, I'm sorry about that. Are you all right? Thanks for the helping hand. Nothing. I, uh, hope you didn't get the wrong impression. You know, things like that, they, uh, well, they sometimes happen when strangers drift in. Oh, Cliff, the boys lifted somebody's wallet. Was it yours? Is this what you want? Oh, thank you. Hey, what's the idea? No, no, just, just checking the ID card. What did you say your name was? We told you, Nico, Cliff Benton. Benton? Well, that's curious. Seems to be some kind of a discrepancy. Uh, name here is Bowers. Your friend must be an actor, Ellie. He's got a stage name. This is the scene I love. This is yeah. the this is the audition reel for Peter Falk doing Columbo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Now that you mention it, I can definitely <laughs> see that. Oh, it was so brilliant. I saw that when he, when he's going through it was like, "Oh, uh that, well that's that's odd. There seems to be a discrepancy here. That, that this says your name's, you know, Bowers, not Benton." Uh it was just it was a brilliant moment. It just reminded me so much of Columbo. And it just, it makes me wonder if that's really how Peter Falk is uh, or, or, or was, I should say. Right. Well, and I honestly, I was a little surprised because I took for granted that Nico is too smart for his own good. I mean, that was 
what appeared to be. So I was surprised he didn't see the last name and it clicked. Okay, Cliff is lying to me. Obviously, oh, not only does he have the same last name as this kid that we killed, but he's saying he's not who he really is. I was surprised he didn't just play it off as, oh, here's your wallet back, and then behind his back do something. But he right. actually calls him out on it. And it kind of surprised me that it called him out that he called him out. Because you could see what was going on. You could tell that he knew, you know, as soon as he looks at the ID card, he's like, you know, oh, this isn't who but I, I, maybe I'm just smarter than most people. <laughs> maybe I uh, I caught huh? that and other people wouldn't without him pointing it out and calling Cliff out on it. No, I well and, and I think this is Nico being overly confident because yeah, that's fair. That's because he is an extremely confident person, and that is obvious throughout this entire film. And so he sees this, and he he's like, yeah, but it's you. You're not a cop. You're just a kid. You got nothing. You can think all you want. You can suspect all you want. You've got absolutely nothing on me. So I'm going to call you out on it. And I, again, this is Nico getting his kicks. I mean, he's definitely looking for the extreme. This is the kind of guy that in today's world would be the uh, – the guy that goes, um, you know, cliff diving or something, yeah. or uh, you know, no pun intended. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Fast forward to like you know the most dangerous game where he'd be he'd be hunting people on an island or something like that. Yeah. Yep. Francis, on the other hand, I think probably has to change his shorts after <laughs> cliff. And I love I. Another thing that I notice in this that I do I love about the scene is even though um, you know he's involved there, Cliff and Nico never break eye contact. Even mm-hmm. though they have other people reacting to what's going on and it's a big deal, they are they're doing that man. I can't think of you know fisting contest. <laughs> they are yeah. staring one another down and it doesn't matter what else is going on around them. They both are just determined to, you know, find each other's weakness, you know, but it, but it was interesting because, you know, like you mentioned, Francis is kind of freaking out, but neither of them reacts to him. And I kind of love that about this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was really good. Francis does start to crack a bit and uh, Nico, this is where Nico really true shows his true colors. Because he he tells Francis, he's like, you know, look, you're the one that fed him the burger. <laughs> and Francis is like, well, it was your idea. Your Nico, idea. Nico, Nico now is like, it doesn't matter. He, Nico will turn on Francis if he needs him, if Absolutely. he needs to. And this he is, pretty much tells Francis as much. This is exactly the moment. And I, and I know that anybody else that watches this, if they've seen this other movie, they're going to think of it because it's, almost a remake of the bloody brood it is uh murder by numbers and that you have again these two guys that are in it together and one of them is just playing the other and you can tell through the whole thing he's not guilty because he didn't do it so he's like hey you know even if we get caught i didn't do anything i didn't give him the burger you know but he's just playing the other guy the whole time so it, it totally reminded me of in a well obviously this being original the original storyline it's the other remind would remind me of this you haven't seen murder by numbers by numbers uh i'm trying to remember if i have or it's, not um sandra bullock is the detective in it and then it's a really young i think uh hayden christensen and hmm. i can't remember who the other guy is in it but um it's it, it it's worth a see and i 
I can't think of who the other guy is, but I know that he's an exceptional actor. So anyway, a little bit off topic, but, um, and definitely not, uh, out of copyright, but, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're, we're at the watch, I think. So I wouldn't necessarily say it's a phenomenal movie, but it's definitely, definitely inspired by the bloody brute. I think this does take us to about the halfway mark. And I don't know if I really want to go much further because this is when the movie really starts twisting and turning. Yeah, so I, I think I kind of want to stop there because I, I really don't want to spoil this film. And we'll, we'll get to that as we get into further into, you know, kind of our final thoughts and our ratings. Yep. Uh, Ryan but, uh, Gosling. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. Ryan Gosling is the other guy in it. A very young Ryan Gosling. Oh, OK. Very good. Uh, but overall, I have to say, you know, even discussing what we have so far, I've really enjoyed this film. I agree. Um, I, I think it was when I first started watching it the first time it seemed like I, it, it starts off in the first scene is great. It's a really great scene. And then you move on to that kind of beatnik party. And I was like, Oh, it's going to be one of those artsy sixties films. I mean, 1959, you know, but, uh, but very, I think, as we mentioned, the writing in it and the characters are very engaging. And there's not, I don't have a lot to critique about it, um, aside from the occasional uh, digression that late 50s and early 60s films have to sometimes forget that dialogue is useful and and go too much into shadows on walls and you get a little confused. I, you know what I'm talking about. I'm sure. Yeah, but, I think so. You know, I think, um, you know, overall as the characters are concerned, I, I would say uh, definitely up to this point, I have no, I have very few notes. <laughs> very yep. few negative. No, I don't have a lot of critique. Uh, we mentioned one, the police detective, like I, like you had said, I think is the, the, the weakest point as far as characters go mm-hmm. um and maybe as far as story goes yeah uh there are some technical issues with the film and that could just be because of its age i don't know how much of it was just you know who knows how many prints went into the making of the copy that i saw mm-hmm. uh, there was a few moments that seemed a little overexposed mm-hmm. there are some odd edits and cuts where i'm not sure if it was if something's been lost over time or if that was the way it was originally. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a couple of times where it just felt like, should there have been a scene there? Or you, <laughs> you, you see someone and it looks like they're just finished saying something and they're, and they start saying something else. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Are, are we coming in halfway through a conversation? What, what, what's going on there? Or if, was it just, that's, you know, he was saying the line he was just saying, but now this is the, this is the other this camera. Take, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And on it, I, I would suspect most likely that I, I, I didn't notice anything where I felt it was a major issue. It, no, it was nothing that detracted. Like, it felt like the era of filmmaking more than any kind of a, even, I, I mean, we've watched newer films than this that felt a lot fluffier. Uh, yes. In this case, I don't, I think it was probably more just due to the era of filmmaking than necessarily a, a, a mistake or a, negative attribute to the film unless unless you're talking about something specific that i missed but like i said it's just the occasional where it's suddenly a a really hard cut or um i think there's a moment 
at the uh, the party at the artist house, uh, Cliff comes walking in the stairs, and he he looks odd when he comes in the stairs. It almost looks like he's been drinking or something. <laughs> Maybe he you was. know, and he kind of wanders down. He's sort of fumbling with his jacket. And I don't know if you know did did we miss something or if that's just the way it was. Maybe that was his first scene on on set. <laughs> it could, yeah, it could be. And then when he when he pulls Ellie out into the hallway, and then um, you uh, find that out true. that she knows something about Roy. He pulls like, no, look, you have to listen to this. This is really important. And there's just an odd edit where suddenly the party breaks up, but you get the impression there was something else in between. I felt like that was intentional. I thought they were saying, okay, he's trying to be candid with this girl. They have a connection, and he trusts her enough to explain, but as he's about to, they get interrupted by the party breaking up. I felt like that was intentional. No, I think so. I think that was an intentional edit, but I still felt like that maybe there was a line. There were some lines originally in and there was always intended to be there. And then in the last minute they said, you know what would work better? Let's cut that out. And so it just seems because it was never planned to be cut right there. It feels unnatural. A little rough. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it was just a a few moments like that through the film where maybe I I attributed that just to the, to the era of directing. It it, it could be. And while we are talking, this was the first film that this, this, this guy directed. That's true. Um, so it could be just a matter of we got a lot of um, a lot a lot of young and unknown you know <laughs> unpracticed actors. We've got a director that isn't terribly familiar with his craft maybe yet, and you know who knows the editor may have been fairly fresh. I, there could be a lot of things where this is could just be just a collection of young filmmakers thrown together, and what comes out isn't necessarily as polished as exactly, it could be. Yeah, exactly. That's the word I was going to use too. But what did come out, unpolished or not, is actually, I thought, a really impressive film and Absolutely. certainly a really good story. Absolutely. I think a great story, definitely enough to inspire, as I mentioned, other movies later on. And um, and I think a strong one. I don't think that they left a whole lot of gaps. Definitely there <laughs> are a lot fewer gaps in this particular film than we've seen in some more recent ones that we've watched <laughs> where where the end of it, even though it has a great song, is just kind of like, what just happened? I don't understand what happened. In this one, you do understand what happened, and it wraps nicely. Well, we did get uh, a couple comments on it on uh, Facebook. If you want to, you want to, should we just kind of touch on those real quick before yeah. we do ratings? Uh, our friend uh, Sci-Fi on Facebook, her name's Chris, uh, she just mentions that she's encouraging everyone to watch this one. Uh, she really enjoyed it. Uh, the opening scene that she that we talked about says, yeah, it really gives you an idea of where the movie is headed, and that may be her favorite scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, she does mention that she thinks the parties kind of – she found it interesting that the parties start out really classy, and then throughout the film they kind of get to a little bit of a nastier location as it goes. Yeah. So it's kind of as the darker as, – as the film grows darker, so do the parties, you know? <laughs> Uh, Daniel Sample chimed in that he just finished watching it. And he said it was really fun seeing Peter Falk in his pre-Columbo murder by death, et cetera, days. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he was a really enjoyable to watch along with some of the side characters like the beatnik artist. Uh, he, he thought there, were, there was a scene where um, there was a fun scene. The, the artist who was uh, trying to sculpt a woman as she was dancing. <laughs> Yeah. And and someone bumps into his sculpture and he just it just he just it completely throws him off. He's like, ah, oh, you heathens, and he, he storms off. So Dave decides to take over. He's <laughs> like, oh no, let let me do it, baby. And 
<laughs> she he talks her into taking her top off. You don't actually see anything, but he he starts playing with the clay. He starts slapping the clay on her shoulder. That, that made me laugh. That was, <laughs> and it, again, this is one of those moments where you're like, okay, these are not people that are taking life seriously. No, this not is, at all. Uh, do whatever you want, whenever you want to. Yeah. Well, uh, Dan, Daniel said that when he saw that, he thought the uh, they might do a bucket of blood type thing going on. So oh, he, he was really expecting this film to take a dark turn. Oh, no. <laughs> it does not go that dark. Not that dark. <laughs> it might be a little gritty here and there, but it does not go that dark. Now, well, thank you guys for uh, commenting on there. And that, that's always encouraged whenever I, I'll post the video on our Facebook page. And it's always great to hear from people. Uh, they, they get a chance to watch the film, the, what they thought. And, of course, once we uh, publish our thoughts, uh, any comments you have, uh, <laughs> it's always encouraged. It is, absolutely. So we should give our ratings. Uh, do you Wait a go minute, for- our ratings? <laughs> I didn't think it was quite an R movie. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Uh, so, you know, brains. Um, well, I think you're about to say I'll go first, and I will go first. Um, I, and I might disappoint some people out there, but I'm going to go with a, a solid, solid three on this one. I felt like um, it was well written. It was well crafted. There were, as I mentioned briefly, there it, it gets a little scattered, I feel, toward the end. Um, a little confusing and a little too much uh, noir in the in the film itself. But okay. overall, very entertaining to watch and definitely worth a view. Yep. All right. I, I will admit that I've been kind of banging this in my head all day. Uh, I really enjoyed the film, but I have to recognize that it does have some faults, uh, albeit minor ones. I think uh, the police detective, like we like we said several times, is just extraneous. Doesn't need to be there, and the the weakest character and the weakest bit of the story. And I, got, and I do think there are some actual technical issues with the film, which could be, like I was saying, attributed to just age or just the time. Mm-hmm. But I really, really enjoyed this movie. And it is a movie that I think I will go back and watch again probably several times. I mean, it was just that fun to watch. It, it, it actually – it's very well paced. Uh, you it don't is. There, you don't, you don't have to force yourself to watch it. Yeah, Which there's is no really point nice. where you're just like, oh, just hurry up and get it over with already. I agree. It is well yeah. So I'm going to go, I want to give it a four, but I think that may be still a little too high. I'm going to go three and a half. Okay. And uh, honestly, I think I think the only thing keeping me from giving it a four is that there's nothing super innovative in it. It's a strong story. The actors are... I mean, it, it bare minimum passable, but I think, I mean, obviously there are some characters in it that are very strong actors. Peter Falk, of course, brilliant um, the guy that plays Cliff, who I'm going to forget his name. Sorry, Cliff, uh, <laughs> <laughs> please forgive me, but they, there is some really decent acting in it. The only thing that it's lacking to make it, to give it a higher score is something really innovative. So it's not necessarily negative attributes but missing maybe a couple of positives it could have maybe there's i can't complain about it but there's also nothing that you're just like oh my gosh you have to see this because it has this incredible thing that nothing else has except for of course a very well-written story which we sometimes lack here on orphan entertainment (laughs) we occasionally (laughs) do miss that so yeah i i I think three and a half is a fair is a fair rating i'm gonna stick with my three but you know 
I think you're right that it's definitely worth watching and rewatching. Yep, absolutely. That's what I was going to say. I, I think we'll both go with, you know, kind of the three and three and a half, which sounds like kind of middle of the road ratings, but they, they, they come with a strong recommendation that if you've, if you've got a little over an hour to spare, uh, take the film in. I, I think it, it's well worth watching. Yeah. And now that you mentioned the running time, honestly, I, I appreciated that it, there's a, a great quote uh, where, you know, they say, I don't know, I don't know how to tell a story. Well, start at the beginning. Um, and when you get to the end, stop. stop. <laughs> you know? And they did. I, I love that about this movie, that they don't drag it out just for the sake of a running time, which is, right. uh, you know, we run into that way too much now where they drag a movie out for running time. I watched Perfume recently. Ah, oh, too much mm. slow motion. But but in this case, it's not an issue. And uh, you're right, it was well-paced and well-timed, I think. Yeah, very, very well. I think it comes in at around the 80-minute mark or the 88-minute mark. So I thought it was 67, but I could be mistaken about that. I thought mm. it was an hour okay. seven, but I could be wrong. No, okay, I could have been sure. I was just uh, basing it off some stuff I saw online. So that, I'll have to double-check, and that could answer my question about some of the weird edit cuts. Maybe the copy <laughs> I watched was missing that, something. That maybe we may both have missed something. That's definitely possible. Yeah. yeah, it is available, you know, on archive.org. I believe it's on YouTube at a few places. It's also available on Amazon, but it's not prime. So it'll cost you a couple bucks if you want to rent it, but I'm, I'm tempted to rent it to see if it might be any different as far as the, uh, the, the cut and the edits. But, um, that just because it's on Amazon doesn't necessarily mean that it's, you know, the best of the uh, versions either so right. well let me know if it is though <laughs> yeah or, or anyone else that uh, decides to uh to watch it on amazon you know chime in let us know yeah, uh, drop us a, give it a little bit different rating yeah exactly no kidding all right well i think that is going to do it for us so uh some decent ratings with strong recommendations for watching it was a, a lot of fun film it was a great film and i think probably one of the ones I've enjoyed most uh, in recent watches here lately. For storyline, um, I would agree. Definitely. I mean, as far as a, a good story to watch, I agree. Yep. And I guess that will do it for us. Uh, I, of course, want to thank everyone for downloading episodes of Horror for Entertainment and hopefully listening to them. Actually, just download them. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Get that reader, that listener up. <laughs> exactly <laughs> and of course like I was saying please stop by our Facebook page just go to facebook.com and uh, search for Orphan Entertainment and you will find us join the group uh, we try to have uh, nice discussions here and there about the, some of the topics and uh, oh and I've got a I decided to give us a, a new email address that might make it easier if you wanted to send us any email feedback you can just reach us at orphanentertainment at gmail.com we will take uh, written feedback, or if you want to drop us a message in an MP3, uh, go ahead and send it through us that way. That would be uh, awesome. We'd love to hear your voice, and you know, if you don't mind us playing it, we will do that. In fact, if, if you send me an MP3, I will play it regardless of what you have to say, <laughs> within reason. We might have to bleep out some parts. But <laughs> we might have to edit. <laughs> <laughs> but that is going to do it. Lydia, thank you very much. This was... I. We, had a little bit of a trouble getting together for this one, but I'm glad we finally did. It was definitely worth it. Absolutely. You as, or you as well. Me as well. <laughs> All right. So until next month, and hopefully uh, we will be reunited with Barry sooner rather than later. Uh, again, thanks for everyone. And again, Lydia, thank you very much. Thank you, Christopher. Thanks, everyone. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.